you just think it's not possible. Um, and that's really all it is. So um, whatever you think is possible or you think is not possible is nothing more than just a thought. And what really is possible and isn't, you can't know. It's just you think you know, but you really have no clue. Welcome back to the Leading Lights podcast. My name is Somia. My name is Hema. And today we're joined by Christian Straka. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi. Um, well, as you just said, my name is Christian Straka. I am a mental performance coach, um, uh, specifically for athletes, and I live in Los Angeles. Great. So I actually recently finished my tennis season in high school uh, yesterday, actually, and I've been training for a few years and um, my family and I would always joke about like, oh, I'm going to go to the US Open. I'm going to play against like Serena Williams and we're going to be watching in the front row seats. But to me, it was always like a far fetched dream. And I think like a lot of high school athletes can relate to the fact that going pro is just it seems so unattainable. And I know you, you played again, you played with Roger Federer in the Australian Open, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, and you also coached Azarenka, the former world champion of tennis. So I wanted your input, like, what would you say to these high schoolers who like, don't think something like that is possible? Well, um, you know, that's, uh, you kind of already uh, got to the point is that, um, some people, you know, whether you're in high school or much older or younger, you just think it's not possible. Um, and that's really all it is. So um, whatever you think is possible or you think is not possible is nothing more than just a thought. And what really is possible and isn't, you can't know. It's just you think you know, but you really have no clue. Um, some people believe those thoughts more than others, right? So I might have a thought telling my telling me in my mind, like, oh, I don't know, I think I can't do this. Um, but if I have that thought, I really personally don't give it too much value. You know, it's just another thought. It's like a song in my head. It's just something I'm hearing, but I really don't um, really think it's very important for me personally. So instead, I just pay attention to what I can do right now. I have my goals, whether then I can achieve those or not. Nobody knows, really. Um, but what we do know is that if you want to accomplish anything, whether you want to become a great tennis player or you want to be an engineer or uh, a singer or whatever it is that you want to do, um, if you want to achieve your optimal level, wherever that will be at one point, you know, will uh, has to be seen and will depend on how much time and effort will you dedicate right now and then consistently every day, every day. Will you prioritize that? Is that the most important thing for you? Like, do you really want that? Then you will by yourself automatically do that. Um, and then you will become the best version of yourself within this kind of field of what you have chosen, right? If you dedicate only half of the time, well, you won't be as good as if you dedicate all of the time. 
Right. So that's great advice. I think that also, like, I was going to ask, like, being around the top players, so the top athletes, um, I know you, like, work with Adidas now, too. Um, you must, like, know a lot about, like, the winner's mentality, right? Like, the mindset that one needs to have, because I'm sure that's such a struggle getting up to the top. What is the mindset that you need to develop? How, how did you find that like formula of, you know, getting to a good place in your mental health to be successful? Well, so there's these two ways that you just kind of mentioned. Um, on the one side, it's like, what mental skills do you develop? right? So in order to develop those skills, you need to dedicate time to developing those skills. And then on the other side, you have um, just the natural given skills that you have um, and the motivation that you have, not because you have chosen to be motivated. You, ca you can't choose what you like and you can't choose what you don't like, right? The only thing that you can choose to do is what you are actually doing your activities. I can choose to raise my arm or not raise my arm, but I can't choose whether I like raising my arm. So whether I want to become a tennis pro or not, is not a choice of mine. It's either I will want it or not. So um, what the significant um, kind of percentage of successful athletes have in common and it's not limited to athletes, it's just successful people in general, is that they have found something that they are passionate about, right? So what does that mean if you're passionate? It's just, it really interests you. You want to do it the whole time and you don't want to do uh, doing anything else. And that's not something that you chose. It's not like those people can clap their sounds while the back is like, yeah, I have really been motivated. It's like, you are motivated because that's just how you function. But now where they can clap themselves on the back is how much time did they dedicate to those activities that allow them to become the best at this skill or this profession that they are passionate about. Um, and that's where, you know, a lot of people kind of have a little bit of a hard time um, because when you have a passion, when you find that, right? And the only way to find that, in my experience, is by experimenting. You know, you try this and you do it for a while, not just once or twice. And once you get to know this skill or this activity a little bit or the subject matter, you will see like, are you getting more and more interested in it? Or is it like less and less interesting for you? And if it's less and less interesting for you, you can kind of, you know, stop doing it. Uh, and then you move on to the next thing. But no matter what you're going to do um, in order to become the best at it, your best version, I'm not talking about the best in the world, but like the best that you could become, um, you will need to be doing things that you don't like so much as part of becoming the best. But it's not quite as challenging as doing things that you don't like for things that you're not passionate about because there's no kind of end goal in mind. So, you know, if you really want to um, become the best tennis player and you don't like stretching very much or you don't like doing cardio training. Well, yeah, you don't like it, but because you're so motivated in becoming this, you know, this is part of it. You understand why it's important and you will do it. So um, it's a little different. The 
at the end of the day, um, I think it really comes to find what you are most interested in and then just dedicate as much time to it as you are able to. Yeah, I think um, finding a passion, especially as high school students, is really difficult because we're bombarded with all these different fields and it can be really overwhelm overwhelming for a lot of students uh, not knowing what to pick. But for you specifically within your career and transitions in your career, not necessarily how you started, what challenges did you face and how did you overcome them? So I started, um, you know, when I was going to school, I, um, how old are you guys? Um, we're 15. 15. So when I was 15, I was still in school. I quit uh, school when I was um, 16. And I was, school was not my interest. I really didn't care about school at all. Any subject matter, basically, with one or two exceptions, was just something I did because I had to do it. Um, and my passion was tennis. So I dedicated all of my time to tennis and I was a good tennis player. And then um, when I quit school to become a tennis professional, um, I went on that route, but I had my struggles. You know, I didn't develop those mental skills at all because nobody ever told me about them. And therefore nobody knew how to develop those skills that there even are skills that I could develop is not something that I knew at that point in time. Um, and then I had an injury and I had to stop kind of playing when I was 21 already. Um, but then I went into coaching, tennis coaching specifically at that point. Um, and then I um, realized, which I didn't know before also, that, oh, this is actually really enjoyable for me. I enjoy the activity of coaching, right? There's maybe some aspects of coaching I don't enjoy. And if I had to do them for some time, I did them. But um, once you get to a point where um, you are your own boss, so to speak, um, if you're doing a great job, if you're doing a good job, then you can kind of choose what you want to do. If other people don't agree with it, never, well, then you might not be so successful if you need to work with other people. But if what you are enjoying and what you're good at other people value, then you just do what you want. As long as you're helping people from a coaching perspective, you're doing a great job, right? So then um, I've been coaching for a number of years and then I discovered that, oh, actually I really enjoy teaching the mental aspect of the game. So how can you deal with difficulty, with anxiety, with nervousness, with fear, with anger? Um, why am I not able to pay attention? Why am I losing my concentration? Why am I not able to detect those details that are relevant for me when I'm playing tennis or working out? So those elements started to be much more interesting to me than kind of the game itself, the strategy and the technical aspects and so forth. And then it kind of moved into that direction, right? And then when I was basically 30, um, I discovered my true passion. Like that is, you know... I, I loved tennis and I still love tennis and sports and I do it every day and I enjoy it and I'm working out and I'm doing things that are healthy for me and a lot of them I enjoy and some of them I don't enjoy so much, but I'm doing it because I know it's good for me. But um, helping people um, develop these mental skills, that is something that is for me personally, for me being able to do this, the most important thing in my life and 
to be able to give that to other people, help them um, discover this and help them give um, help them give them tools to be able to do that and improve that is what really makes me happy. Am I interested in? And I read about it not because I have to read about it and I'm working, but it's just that's what I want to read about. I will read that before I will read a novel. You know, so that is how I have discovered my passion. But it's not. Um, something that I could have planned. It's just how my life developed. I think that's amazing, right? Like, because I'm a lot of high schoolers right now, they go through that kind of those weird mental health problems of anxiety and nervousness. And we can really hold ourselves back because of that. And there aren't that many people out there like you who are like, who are guiding us through it. So I think that's just an amazing thing that we really need in this world right now. Um, I want to ask you, how do you think the mental skills you develop in sports can apply to just like your normal daily life? So those skills, um, they apply to every aspect of your life. In sports, you could say it's maybe somewhat more um, complex because in sports, things are very um, fast changing. Right? There's a fast pace, you have to react, you have to make decisions on the spot, you have, sometimes have um, seconds to split seconds to do things. Um, doesn't mean that regular life isn't difficult enough as it is already, but in sports, it's just kind of, you know, life in a little bubble. Things get a little faster and are a little bit higher stakes for a certain period of time. Um, sometimes even higher stakes in regards to whether it's life-threatening or not. There are sports, you know, if you're um, somebody like Alex Honnold who climbs up um, uh, in Yosemite without a rope, you know, he's risking his life. So these skills are kind of essential in order to survive. Um, but it's the exact same skills um, are at the foundation of whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're talking to me right now or listening to me, if you are um, having dinner with your friends, if you are in school um, studying or um, writing a test, whatever it is you're doing, these three skills will always be at the foundation of whatever it is that you're doing. And you both have the skills and everybody you know has those skills. The issue is just that most of humanity doesn't develop those skills in a systematic and consistent way. So it's like running, let's say. Um, both of you can walk and run, right? And you can run at a faster pace, you can full out sprint and you can jog at a medium pace and you can walk slowly. Um, but I mean, I don't know if you're endurance runners, let's say, um, but in case you're not endurance runners and you haven't ran a marathon, if you would go out right now and try to run a marathon, you wouldn't be able to do it. The body can't, couldn't sustain it. Even though you have absolutely no problem walking, running at the pace that somebody's running a marathon at. You can just do it for um, 100 meters or uh, one kilometer or one mile or whatever it might be, right? So how do you get there? You need to train your ability to run in a systematic and consistent way. So systematic means there needs to be a plan. You can't just start running um, 10 kilometers every day and then you know, in two months, you will be able to run a marathon. That's not going to work. You're going to be injured before or you're overtraining or you're undertraining and so forth, right? Um, and so you need a plan. You need to say, okay, Monday I do this and Wednesday I do that. And then I need to run longer. And the next day I need to run 
shorter but faster and that day I need to do strength training. Um, so there's all these different um, uh, activities that you need to include in order to develop the skill to run 42 kilometers. Um, and if you have a systematic plan and you use the plan, but you're only doing it um, for two weeks, it's not going to cut it either, right? So you're doing it the right way systematically, but it's not consistent enough in order to achieve the goal. With your mental skills, it's exactly the same thing. So the first skill that we're developing in this, what I'm doing, is your ability to pay attention to whatever you want to pay attention to for any length of time, yeah. right? So when you're listening to me right now, you might be choosing to pay attention to what I'm saying. So you're hearing, right? And you're hearing something very specific. You're not maybe listening to um, your parents in the next room, right? And if you're hearing a noise coming from there, then you notice that and you need to redirect your attention to this sound. Right. So that is the first skill, concentration. You direct it to where you want to direct it and you keep it there for how long you want to keep it there. And once you're not able to direct it anymore, or once you're not able to keep it there for as long as you want, you start to get very frustrated. And what you're trying to do won't work as much anymore. So if you right now wouldn't be able to listen to what I'm saying anymore, because you start to mind wander and your mind drifts away, or you know one of your siblings starts distracting you and you're paying attention to them rather to what I'm saying, then you won't know what I'm saying actually anymore. And you couldn't engage in a conversation with me. So your ability to have a conversation with me will right. get worse, right? Yeah. And you could do that with anything. You can do that with, you know, running, with listening, with seeing things, with thinking about things, whatever it is that you want to pay attention to. That's up to you and up to the activity that you want to do. So skill one. Skill two that you can develop is your ability to notice details in real time. So people say, um, use the synonyms of awareness, presence, being in the now and so forth. Um, that will basically what that means is that you are tracking in real time what it is that you're experiencing. Okay, so let's take my voice as an example. Again, you are directing your attention to my voice to what you're hearing. Um, and now, what details could you notice? Well, you can notice where the sound comes from, location. You can notice, is it loud or silent? You can notice, um, is there an accent or is there no accent? You can notice, is what I'm saying, is it pleasant or unpleasant to you? So any detail that you can notice about what you are hearing, what you're paying attention to, would be the second skill, clarity. We call that skill clarity, okay? The first skill we call concentration, second skill clarity. And the third skill is your ability to try to be equally open to pleasant and unpleasant experiences without trying to suppress and avoid unpleasant experiences and without trying to cling to pleasant experiences. So it's like a third option in the middle between those two where you're trying to just take a matter of fact stance and you allow and accept what you are noticing without trying to fight that experience. So you can act and instead of react to how you feel. Okay. You mm -hmm. might have a reaction to something unpleasant, but now you don't need to 
act on your reaction. You can just act based on what you know intellectually is the smartest thing to do for you in order to achieve your goal. So these three skills in combination, right, are the skills that we're developing and they're helpful for any activity in your life. And if you, it's not um, really difficult to understand, right? If you would think like, okay, um, you have to study right now, let's say. And um, in order for you to be able to study more efficiently, um, you need to pay attention to only what you're reading and nothing else. If you get distracted, right, because of some, you're hearing something, or if you just get distracted by what you're thinking about, or you get distracted by your phone and you're on Instagram or TikTok or something, um, then this is going to be not as effective, the learning period, as if you would not get distracted. So you can imagine if you could really for 60 minutes nonstop just pay full attention to what it is that you're reading and your mind would never one single time go somewhere other than this. That would be much better for you, right? Yeah. And learning is just one example. I mean, it could be any activity, right? It could be watching a movie. It could be where your ability is very good to pay attention to for most people. I mean, I'm not taking the two of you as an example is if we look at our phones for social media. There that happens. So you know exactly what that's like, right? To really yeah. be dialed into something. So the reason that happens with social media is because of all of the um, dopamine that's being released. And we get very motivated to kind of keep scrolling. But okay. unfortunately, that has a lot of negative side effects because we are not actively paying attention, but our attention is passively being pulled to it. And that has the opposite effect. So through scrolling through social media is decreasing your ability to pay attention to what you want to pay attention to, right? So it's okay to scroll through social media, but just knowing if I do it for four hours, I will not be uh, able to pay attention to what I otherwise want to pay attention to as if I basically wouldn't be doing it. I think, like you mentioned, distractions are a huge part of um, concentration. And I think social media is the example that you gave. I think that distractions can come in a lot of different forms and while social media is one of them. Another one that affects teens a lot is outsider opinions. And I'm sure as someone that dropped out of school and someone that's working with a lot of uh, famous players or a lot of people all over the world, you're hearing all of these opinions from other people and about like what your career and what you're doing. How do you suggest that people maintain their focus on self-improvement and self-reflection instead of letting these types of distractions get to them? Because it can be really tempting to change what you're doing based on what other people are saying. Yeah, that's a good question. And it really comes back to, it's, it's not that far uh, fetched from social media also. So the question is really, where are you getting those opinions from, right? Probably a lot from social media, um, but not exclusively. You might be getting it from the news also, not just social media news, but just other news channels on TV or uh, some magazine. Um, and you might be getting it from people that are talking to you, right? Or texting you. I guess that's about it. How else would you be um, hearing that those opinions from other people, right? So if there's another one that I'm missing right now, you can kind of uh, add that, right? For sure. There's probably more than those four options, but let's just say social media, news, um, other people talking to you and in person and other people texting you. So 
how do you um, choose to pay attention to and focus on what like matters to you, what, what you want to do? So number one is you need to have a group of people that you trust. And it doesn't need to be a lot of people. It can be one person, your coach, your father, your mother, your best friend, right? Somebody with some experience and what is important to you would be helpful. But the point is that you trust them, right? And if you trust them, you might put your trust in somebody wrong, but like, I mean, you can't really know that upfront, right? So you just got to trust your gut in a way. And then once you decide on this one person or two or three people that you trust and you share everything with and what they tell you, you feel like is important to you and is helpful to you, you want to keep an open feedback loop, basically. So, you know, they suggest something to you and that you're trying to implement it or you're thinking about it and it's helpful to you. If it's not really helpful to you and it happens multiple times, then maybe that's not a person that should be giving you advice. You know, it doesn't mean you need to cut that person out of your life, but maybe you need to cut them out of giving you advice. Um, and anybody else out of this circle, you want to try your best to not even be exposed to that information. So where if you are in a position where people give their opinion on you for whatever reason, because you're successful or famous, you know, in your, in your grade or in your city or in the world, it doesn't matter, right? Um, then there's ways to eliminate yourself from even being exposed to that. That doesn't mean the opinions aren't out there, but they don't even come to you anymore. So you don't go on social media in regards to when somebody's writing something, right? If you're posting something and people are giving their opinion in the comments, don't read the comments anymore. If you don't have the ability to not read the comments because the urge is too strong, stop the comments. You can just uh, um, activate the option that people can't comment anymore, right? Um, so you want to kind of conceptually go through what are you able to do, just listen to and not. And if you notice like, ah, I shouldn't be listening to it, but I can't help it, then you need to take another step back and see, okay, what is it that I can do that I won't even get um, uh, kind of lured into it. Like I cannot not eat chocolate. So I don't have chocolate at home. It's easy. You know, if I have chocolate at home, I'm going to eat it. So there's no chocolate. So if I can't read comments, okay, then, you know, have no comments. If I, if it's people, um, that are giving you uh, an opinion that is not helpful or even on the worst side is really actually harmful. Well, then, one way would be just telling them honestly and with compassion and honestly um, to please stop doing it. And if they can't help it, then you need to take another step and maybe like stop contact with them to protect yourself, not to be mean to them, but like this is for you. They are harming you without knowing it. And when they know that they're harming you and they still can't stop it, then that's somebody who um, it would be helpful if they're not in your life anymore, basically, you know? Yeah, I mean, I... I guess in a way, like we have a lot more control than we think we do. Like we often like think about others before putting ourselves first. And that could be very harmful. Um, I also wanted to mention that like you have, you seem to be very educated on this topic of mental health, your mindset, how to deal with these kind of problems. Do you think that, education 
would make dropping out or staying in, uh, in education made a difference in your ability to retain so much information to learn a lot more as you grow in your career? Mm, I mean, you know, the, the, there's many ways to get educated and to learn. And school is one way for sure, but it's not the only way. And I didn't take the traditional route. And that doesn't mean I didn't learn anything. I learned a lot in life. And, <clears throat> and then I started learning a lot from books and from people and from videos, but only things that interested me and not a, a given kind of, you know, um, format that I had to follow. I was just, you know, interested in what I was interested in. And that, that's what I was kind of studying about and learning about and exposing myself to. Um, and if you really, depending on where you live in the world, you will be exposed to many different people. So if you live in a city like Los Angeles, let's say, or New York, there is so many different kinds of people that you will see people that became very successful um, at what they do. And they took a hundred different routes to get there. So um, school is just a good way to get started because you don't know where it's going to go yet at the early beginning. And there's like some basics that you need to learn, of course. Um, but me personally, I'm not giving school as much value, I guess, as like most people or a lot of people in the world, not even most people, but as some people that I know, as if it's like the Holy Grail. It says, no, if you're an academic, okay, and you're interested in academics, well, you definitely want to follow the school route. If you're an athlete, not so much, maybe, right? If you're an artist, maybe not so much. If you're a doctor, probably yes, again. So very de much depends on which route you're going. Um, and just because somebody doesn't have the means to maybe even get educated in the school system as uh, some other people, that doesn't mean they won't be able to make it and become successful. You know, I, I'm teaching um, uh, courses at USC and uh, other colleges, and I didn't even finish high school, you know, so <laughs> yeah, it works. I think that's, that's, that's interesting because the, there's so much stigma around you need to go to school. If you want to be successful, go, go to school, go to high school, finish college. Otherwise you're going to end up not finding that success or not doing what you want to do. Um, and then you ended up like playing with the best players in the world and um, teaching, like you said, for Adidas and colleges. Um, I actually want to ask about, uh, how it was like coaching Azarenka and playing with Roger Federer. I think that's so awesome. Um, you know, when I was coaching Azarenka, she was your age from both of you. And she was somebody who was, you know, very driven. It's just, there was nothing more important to her than becoming the best tennis player she could be. And she had uh, challenges, you know, she was dealing with a little bit of fear, um, a failure of success and so forth. Um, but every athlete is dealing with something. Some athletes deal with that. Other athletes deal with anxiety. Other athletes deal with a lack of motivation and so forth. So she was somebody who was just hyper-driven, very talented at, you know, uh, um, coordinationally and physically and understood the game very well and basically excelled very much through it's not that she is you know any different than you both it's just every all she wanted to do was play tennis and win 
That's mm -hmm. really the difference at the end. Other than that, it's not a different kind of person, but you could see like that is her passion. She doesn't yeah. want anything and she doesn't choose to want that. That's just, you know, how, how it happened. Yeah. And with Roger, it was the same. With, when I was playing with Roger, I was, you know, uh, 16, I think. So basically a year older than you, it's a while ago. And um, he was somebody who was just, super like unbelievably talented physically speaking um understood the game better than anybody i had met until that point um but he didn't have his anger under control at all he would get very angry and very frustrated and would just walk off the court so the exact opposite of what you would see in the right now where he's all calm yeah. and settled right he was not like that when he was 16 <laughs> um but he always was and still is to this day one of the nicest people what is something that made me very happy because sometimes for some people there's kind of this stigma of oh if you want to become the best like you also need to have like your elbows out and you need to be hard and you know yeah. some kind of like not maybe the fairest player in the world and like that is roger is the exact opposite of that a real nice funny guy only means well to everybody and trained as hard as he could and played as well as possible, but never at the mercy of anybody else. We keep bringing up this idea of success and successful people. And especially in the education system, a lot of times we get the idea that success only comes in the form of being rich or having a lot of wealth or being famous. And obviously, like you're mentioning, we, we can see that there's really so much behind that than what we see. So what do you think success is to you? Is it necessarily what me, what might seem like the textbook definition or do you think there's more to it? Well, that's a really great question. Um, something that for some people it takes a little while um, to kind of discover. And I can tell you out of my experience that um, success um, and happiness are not the same, right? So people want to be successful a lot of times because at the end of the day, they want to be happy. They think once they are successful, they're going to be happy. And that is absolutely not true. Of course, there's people that are successful and happy, but there's just as many people that are very successful and completely unhappy. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how many people know you, um, how much success you have had. It can correlate absolutely zero to your happiness because your happiness is dependent on what is going through your mind and how you're feeling and whether you have a lot of money or whether you just won the Nobel prize, that is all momentary. So you will experience momentary bursts of happiness, but they're not going to be lasting. How long do you think you're going to be happy that you have $10 million on your account a day, a week, a month. Okay. Maybe. And then, how long are you going to be happy about buying, you know, uh, a new pair of Celine shoes and a Louis Vuitton bag? Like you buy the first one, you're going to be happy. You buy the second and the third and the fifth, you're going to be happy. Okay. And then what? Once you have had 50, you think you're still going to be happy? No, it doesn't matter. You get used to anything. So whether you have a hundred million on your bank account or a thousand dollars, your happiness will be independent of that. So people that are happy, even though they have money, they're not happy because of the money. 
Money might make things easier, of course, in certain cases. Um, and it's definitely crucial to have enough money to be able to survive, to, you know, put food on your table and from your family and like have a live safely and have a roof over your head. Um, but like, that's kind of where money and happiness kind of part ways at that point. It's the same with success. So happiness is an internal state and it depends on these three skills, right? So if you base your happiness on conditions, like money is a condition, um, you know, how healthy you are is a condition and so forth, then your happiness will always be dependent on that. It's happiness dependent on condition. If you develop the ability to be happy independent of a condition, then the conditions will still be great, but you will be happy independently of them. Whether you have them or not, it really won't matter anymore. And then you're not in such a kind of fighting relationship with like, I need to do this. You will still want to become the best that you can be, right? Um, but your happiness is not going to be dependent on it anymore. So success for me personally is somebody that loves what they do and they're happy in an internal state. That is a successful human being, whether nobody has ever heard your name and you have no money in your bank account um, or whether you are Bill Gates. I think that's a very interesting way of looking at it because to a lot of people, happiness is just an emotion you feel for maybe a few days and then it, it's not a part of your soul. And that's such a, that's, that's a really impactful way of looking at it because it kind of resonates with you. Um, I want to end things off by asking, what advice do you have for high school students who want to pursue sports as a career, whether it be a mindset coach, a a, any sports coach or an athlete? So um, basically kind of similar to what I said at the very beginning, um, if you want to become, you know, uh, the best athlete that you can be or best coach that you can be, then the only way that's going to happen is if you really are passionate about it, because you will have to dedicate a lot of time and resources, and you will have to be doing a lot of things that are unpleasant also. So if you really don't have a passion for it, and it's like just like a hobby, let's say, that you sometimes like to do and sometimes not, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how talented you really are. You know, I mean, if you kind of have a healthy body, like you would be astounded of how um, some athletes that are in the top of the world, if you looked at them when they were eight years old, you would not say like, oh, that's going to be an amazing athlete. But they loved it so much that they didn't do anything else and they developed those skills. Um, so rather than, you know, looking at it being like, oh, what can I do in order to become the best tennis player that I can be or the number one tennis player in the world, I would kind of reverse it and say, do I really love tennis? Do I want to do everything about tennis? You know, I prefer to play tennis uh, over uh, going to the movies. I prefer tennis over playing soccer. I prefer tennis over going to school. I prefer tennis over playing computer games and so forth. And it's not always a either or, right? Of course you do other things in your life too, but it definitely has to be the number one priority if 
you want to become one of the best in the world in it. And that it doesn't matter whether that's tennis, coaching, soccer, or you want to become a neuroscientist or whatever it is that you're going to be. It's like when you find that, and that's something you need to find. You can't just make it happen. You can't choose, ooh, I want to be a tennis player. I'm going to love it. Like whether you love it or not, it's not up to you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We loved having you here. We loved listening to your advice and your input. Well, thank you very much. I think it's wonderful what you two are doing. I wish you the very best. I wish you happiness independent <laughs> of conditions. And I wish you that you will find what you are most passionate about in your life at some point. 